That's a tough introduction to live up to, I tell you. Oh, gee. You know, Chris warned you last week that uh, I was going to be here, and you still came, <laughs> which, which is very, very flattering. Um, over the years that Judy and I have been blessed to be a part of this congregation, Sometimes people have said to me in their very kind words about Chris, and, and it's really nice to hear you all say kind words about him as comparison to what you might say. Um, I, and as his dad, I, I am very, very proud of him, although I don't want him to know that. But oftentimes people have said to me, where did the depth of his spiritual walk come from? How, how, how did that come about? And, and I would love to stand up here and say, but that's not true. His late mom, whose name was Becky, was a very, very wonderful person and a very, very spiritual person. And when, when I had come out of seminary, I was the associate pastor at Asbury Methodist Church in Maitland. And Becky's mother and father lived in Winter Park and attended the Aloma United Methodist Church there, not too far from 436. One day, Becky and Chris and probably uh, younger brother Brian, I don't think David was around yet at that point, had been visiting over with uh, Becky's mom, and they were driving back to, uh, to the parsonage, and Chris had grown up knowing about giving your life to the Lord. He had heard that phrase a number of times, praying to receive Jesus and so on. He is about five or six years old at this time, and he and Becky were talking about that on their drive back, and Chris said something like, well, when can I do that? And Becky said, whenever you want to. And Chris said, now? And Becky said, I'm driving. <laughs> and Chris said, you could pull over. And she did. Pulled into a parking lot, and right there in the, we had a, we had a 76 Chevy Beauville van. Had room for 12 people or more if you could squeeze them in there. And right there in that parking lot, in that van, Chris, Chris prayed to receive Christ. And so that's where some of that spiritual depth of his come, comes from. And, uh, uh, very, very, very proud of, of him and, and uh, what he brings to this congregation and what you bring to him and Tony. I, I just can't thank you enough how blessed Judy and I are to be a part of you and to be associated with, uh, with that family. His, his name was uh, Mr. Daly. I'm going to try to drop this down a little bit because this is really sensitive. 
Sounds like thunder. Yes, Lord. His name, his name was Mr. Daly, and he was the Sunday school superintendent of, of this church. Uh, he'd been a fixture for a long time. And one Sunday, a, a new family showed up, mother, father, three little girls, the youngest one named Sarah, five years old. Mr. Daly kind of gets down like this to get on Sarah's level says to her, welcome, I'm so glad you're here, whereupon she hauls off and kicks him right in the shins. <laughs> Hard. And he thought, wow, what a way to begin a friendship. But he was determined to be kind to this little shin kicker. And the next Sunday, the next Sunday, when the family came back, he again welcomed them, got down about Sarah's label, level, and she kicked him twice. And at that rate, he wrote, I, I didn't know if we were ever going to be friends, but I was determined to try. One Sunday, Mr. Daly was sitting in the pew during, uh, at the beginning of worship service, and the family came in. And it just so happened that little Sarah ended up sitting right next to Mr. Daly. After a little while, she sort of snuggled up next to him and laid her head on his shoulder. And with those beautiful little five-year-old eyes, she looked up at him and said, Mr. Daly, I hate you. <laughs> and he replied, I know, Sarah, I know. But he was making progress, because at least this time he didn't get kicked. One Sunday morning, Mr. Daly is making the rounds of the Sunday school classes. He goes into the kindergarten class. The children are sitting around on those, those little chairs. You know, at my age, you get down in those little chairs, you're not getting up. <laughs> not without help. And, and uh, Mr. Daly managed to sit down in one of the chairs, wasn't too long, when a little boy came over and sat on his knee. And then suddenly, it seemed like out of nowhere, Sarah appeared and, and sat on his other knee. She didn't say a word. She, she didn't even look up at him. But she took his hand in hers. And he thought, maybe things are going to work out after all. And indeed they did. Because after that, whenever Sarah saw Mr. Daly, she ran and gave him just the biggest hug that she could. And he wrote in his journal, thus we stand and thus we talk and you can hear the angels sing. In a very graphic way, that story illustrates Two basic kinds of people in the family of God. There are those of us like Sarah who want to be loved more than anything. We hunger for it. We yearn for it. We reach out for it. We are drawn to the people who offer it to us. And it doesn't matter how old we are. Inside, we are like Sarah, wanting to be loved and accepted no matter how many shins we kick. The kicking is part of our condition. It's, it's like a testing process that we go through to see who of those who offer the love really mean it. Or will they just run away after they get kicked in the shins and then, and then when they do run away and stop offering the love to us, we walk away smugly and say, see, I knew they didn't love me. 
Has anyone you've ever tried to love said to you, you don't really love me, and then dared you to prove it to their satisfaction that you do? Many of us have Sarahs in our life. Now, the second kind of person in God's kingdom are like Doug Daly, like Miss Ethel of this congregation, like our Stephen ministers, our, our choir members, our volunteers, like so many people who make this congregation what it is. They are light givers. They're folks who know that the light of Christ's love is stronger than any darkness that the shin kickers can experience. Light givers know that the Sarahs of life kick shins because they need the love of Christ, even though they may not even know it, even though they may not even express it. That's one reason that the Lord said that the eyes are the light of the body in Luke. If your eyes are open, if your eyes are filled with the light of Christ, you will see in the Sarahs, you will see in the shin kickers a cry out for love. But if you're a shin kicker yourself, <laughs> then all you're going to see in the Sarahs of life are little brats. You see, the difference between the Sarahs in God's kingdom and the light givers is expressed in secular terms in this parable titled, Kiss Me. Kiss Me. Maybe you're familiar with it. You see, once upon a time, there was a frog. It wasn't really a frog. A wicked witch had cast a spell on him and turned him into a frog. And only a loving, unselfish kiss could bring him back. But who wants to kiss frogs? So there he sat, an unkissed prince in frog form, every day on the lily pad. Ah, but one day a beautiful maiden came by. And somehow she saw through the darkness to see what this frog really was. And she reached down and she picked him up. And she gave him a big smooch. And zap! There stood a handsome prince where before a lowly frog had been. And as all, well, as some good stories end, they lived happily ever after. And so you sit there and you say, yeah, okay, Richard, so what? Well, so this. In that little parable, we find the task of the church we find the reason that you and I exist as part of the family of God. And you know what that reason is? To kiss frogs. That's why we're here, to kiss frogs. And how does this congregation go about doing that? Don't you know that you do it day in and day out? One of the frogs we kiss are the needs that we find all around us in whatever forms. 26 kids went to camp this past week. 26. Even better, 26 of them came home. 
Although I did hear that there were a few parents that were wanting to know if you could keep them longer, Julie. And, and no. <laughs> you got a food pantry ministry and that, that operates. You, you provide hot meals to those who come. You got a pack-a-sack ministry. The Christmas angel tree. Do you remember what this area looked like last Christmas? It was jammed. You had to work your way around the presents and the bicycles and all of the gifts that it, I don't know how many truckloads it took to take to the schools, but it took more than two or three. You got the thrift store ministry that reaches out to, to people in the community and beyond. Back to school backpacks. Talk about kissing frogs, folks. You, you got a blanket ministry. Now, let me tell you a story about the blanket ministry. Judy is a member of a philanthropic organization called PEO. They provide scholarships for women beyond uh, who are going to college. And there, there are chapters all over the United States, all over the world, right, Judy? some in other countries, PEO. One of the sisters in Judy's chapter, her name happens to be Becky, has been diagnosed with cancer. During the summer months, she's up in Georgia. And so on a Sunday when we were here worshiping with you and you had the blessing of the blankets, Judy got one and mailed it up to Becky. She doesn't know you. She doesn't know anybody here. You don't know her. But you reached out and, shed, and shared the light of Christ with someone. You, you, you may never meet her, but that's part of sharing the light. You had 150, at least, munchkins here for vacation Bible school. Some of the adults have not yet recovered. <laughs> 150, do you know how much noise that is? <laughs> we, you have Stephen ministers. Oh, God bless our Stephen ministers for what they do, for the way in which you touch people quietly, unobtrusively, but sharing the light. And, and, and that's not all. It goes beyond here to, to uh, uh, United Methodist uh, Committee on Relief, UMCOR, that handles the disasters and, and sees about meeting those needs, hurricanes, tornadoes, the United Methodist Children's Home, mission trips. It's not an exhaustive list, folks. It's not meant to be an exhaustive list. It's meant to let you know of some of the things that go on here day after day that you might not be aware of. Frogs are getting kissed. So here's the scripture text. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, then how is it going to be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown away and trodden underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. 
Nor do men shine or light a lamp and put it under a bushel, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. Let your light shine. Let your light shine that people may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And all of that to say this, this faith community is a light shining in the darkness. There are two specific guidelines. Two, if we want to be the light for others. First, don't hide your light. Don't put it under a, a, a bushel. Remember that kid's camp song, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a basket. No, I'm going to let it shine. We are to become aware of the darkness and when we find it, go in and shine the light of Christ. But doing that doesn't often come naturally. We've, we've got to learn to do it. So many times, people in the congregation sort of have the idea, well, well here's, here's Pastor Chris, here's, here's Pastor John, here's, here's Pastor David. Uh, it's their job. It's their job. No. No, we have to be part of sharing the light. It's something we must learn to do. Some of the greatest darkness that people endure is the painful grip of depression. Think of someone you know right now who is sad and depressed. In fact, they're so sad that they have to look up to see a snake's belly. That's how low they are. If you had a choice to go and visit with them or visit with somebody who is upbeat and happy and, and uh, uh, really a positive person, who are you going to choose? Well, most of us are going to say, well, I want to be with somebody who's, who's upbeat. I want to be with somebody who makes, who makes me feel good. But where is the light most needed? It's a rhetorical question. Some years ago, I remember visiting with a non-attending member of my congregation in Hudson. I sat down with him in his, in his home and finally asked the question that had been on my mind ever since I got there. Why have you not been to worship? He snorted a little bit, reached over and, and took a steno pad off the side of his, uh, uh, off a table that was next to the chair where he was sitting and he began to flip it open and read to me all of the slights that he felt he had received from people at the congregation that I was now called to serve. I'm sure that some of those slights were real. I'm also equally sure that many of them were his own imagination. But he read page after page. I tried to insert a word to get him off task. It didn't do any good. He read and he read. Oh, was that a fun visit. <laughs> we have people like that in our lives. They're, they're in the grips of, of depression, maybe because they have lost a spouse or, or they have a physical need. Whatever causes the Sarahs in our life to kick our shins, that's what the ministries of this church do by shining the light on the need. But it cannot be up, left up to others to do it alone. 
we need to learn to be light givers as well. And here's the second light, second guideline. Not only shine the light, share the light. Mr. Daly's shins were probably black and blue before Sarah ever quit kicking him. But he persisted. So Jesus continues in verse 16. Let your light shine that people might see your good works and pat you on the back. No, that's not what it says. Let your light shine so that people might see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Light givers point to Christ. It is Christ's light that shines through us. And sometimes we might not even know when we have touched somebody's light. I was around eight years old when I attended, or I should say spasmodically attended, the Methodist Church in Catskill, New York. My mother and stepfather ran a bar and a restaurant that was open from one in the afternoon until two or three in the morning. I, I forget how late they could go according to New York state law before uh, a bar had to, had to close and stop serving alcohol. So they did not get up until noontime because of their work schedule. I was up much earlier in the day. My mother would say to me on Saturday night, go to church. Yeah, mom. And I did. Walked in the front door of the church, got the bulletin. Don't get ahead of me. And went out the side door. <laughs> Richard, you go to church. Here's the bulletin. What Reverend Gilmore preach on? Uh, Jesus. <laughs> but one Sunday, I don't know how it came about, there were three or four other guys my age who were part of the Cub Scout pack that I was a part of. I was a Cub Scout for one year. That's all they would let me be. <laughs> and, and they were in various stages of uniform. Some had just a shirt, some had a whole uniform. I didn't have any. I didn't know that I was even going to be in church that morning. I went to get the bulletin like I usually did and somebody grabbed me and said, you're part of the Cub Scouts. Get up there. So there I was, standing up there with three or four or five other guys, just in my civvies, you know. And, and we were recognized. There was a husband and wife in that congregation named Mr. and Mrs. Bernard. David, we were talking about how long you and I have known each other, 50 years. This goes back like 65 years. Mr. and Mrs. Bernard. I, for whatever reason, Mr. Bernard, I remember, seemed to like me. Don't know why, but he did. And I liked him. I remember that. And 
one Sunday he got to me and he said, Richard, I, I'd like you to come to lunch at my house. Check it out with your parents, get permission. I got permission, I went. I would love to tell you that he said something so significant to me that my life turned completely around. I would love to tell you that, that he told me that uh, one day God was going to call me into the ministry. I'd love to tell you all that stuff. Truth is, I don't remember anything he said. But what I do remember is this. He gave me my first and only Cub Scout uniform. Light givers. Light givers. You may not know, but that doesn't mean you stop giving. The missionary's name was Robert Moffat. He was laboring in Africa. He came back to, to Great Britain during the wintertime to, to try to recruit people to accompany him back to Africa and help in his work. Only problem was on, he, he went back during the wintertime. And at one night he was scheduled at a church. It was a miserable, cold night. And the only people that had responded were women and wives and a small group at that, he thought that, he thought that his words were going to fall on deaf ears. And he had chosen for his text, Proverbs 8, 4, unto you, O men, I call. Now this is in the days before political correctness, but you have to agree with me that is not exactly the most auspicious text to use when you're talking to no one other than the women who had braved the elements to come and hear you. How many of those wives and mothers were going to leave home and follow him to Africa? And so he thought that, well, this was a completely wasted trip, a completely wasted uh, effort on his part. And he didn't see the little boy who had come to work the bellows of the organ. And no one did volunteer, but this little fellow was thrilled by the challenge that Moffat issued. And he decided that he was going to follow in the footsteps of this pioneer ministry. And he went to school, and he earned a medical degree, and he spent the rest of his life ministering to the unchurched people in Africa. And his name, Dr. David Livingstone. And in the words of the late Paul Harvey, now you know, the rest of the story. Dear friends, this faith community is vital to the parish community and beyond. And if we call it home, then we are responsible for supporting it through our time and our talent and our treasure. We may never know the light that we shed. We may never know the lives that we touch, but that must not stop us from shining that light. Let your light shine so that people will see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. And the only thing left to ask you this morning as we conclude is simply this. What are you? A shin kicker or a light giver? Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for this opportunity to be challenged by your word and to ask you to bless us in this time of worship. And in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we ask it. And God's people said, Amen.